The following episode of the Comics and Crypto podcast is for informational purposes only, and anything expressed by the hosts or their guests is solely their opinion. This podcast does not constitute financial advice, and anyone wishing to invest should seek their own independent financial or professional help. Have fun and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sean O'Hare, and I know comics. Hi, I'm Spencer Vogel, and I know crypto. Hi, I'm Kevin Lee Loader, and I don't know shit. This is the Comics and Crypto Podcast. Comics and Crypto, Crypto and Comics, Collectors World in a Digital Age. Comics and Crypto, Crypto and Comics is where the next billionaires will be rich. Comics and Crypto. Welcome to the Comics and Crypto Podcast, your one-stop shop for all news and discussions regarding comics and NFTs. In this podcast, we will be chatting with our comic expert, Sean, crypto expert, Spencer, and we will be introducing everyone to comic books, NFTs, and how these two worlds are merging in our fast-growing digital age. Guys, <laughs> we're here. We did hey, it. Hello. We made Holy it. crap. Hi, world. Wow. <laughs> it has been an interesting ride getting to this point. But know, we are here, fun. and we're ready to crush it. Lots of preparation, but we're ready to go. Are you guys ready for some deep, deep questions? Yeah. <laughs> Sean, yes. how long have you been collecting comic books and where did you get your start? So I've been collecting comics for quite a few years now. I, I've always been a collector. You know, when I was a kid, I used to collect baseball cards and like football cards and basketball cards and all that. I used to get those Beckett's. You guys know what Beckett, Beckett is? No. It's, it's, it's a big company. They actually own CBCS. We'll get into that later. But Beckett, they would send monthly magazines that you would get at your house and basically give you a grading of how much your card was worth. So based on the player's performances, based on popularity, your card would literally go up and down each month like the stock market. Oh, wow. So at age like seven, I was literally investing in buying baseball cards and basketball cards and all this stuff. And I was, and I would predict how much these things were worth based off players' performances. So like, for example, in Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, you know, they're going for the home run record. I knew that was their rookie card was going to be massive. So what I do, I go and get the rookie card. And sure enough, later that year, boom. Massive ROI. <laughs> wait, wait. So you were seven year old, like on the playground, like dealing cards and yeah. like getting. Well, money. that was more pogs, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pogs. Oh my god. Yeah, I got I got in trouble on but the yeah. playground for Yu-Gi-Oh cards. It's... So I get it. <laughs> <laughs> just hustling. Just hustling. But yeah, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And that was, you know, it's so funny. Like comic books, it kind of reignited that love and passion that I have for investing. To answer your question for comic books, I've been doing it for a few years now. And the first comic that I ever bought was actually a, a Rick and Morty uh, sketch from Justin Roiland. And it's the uh, Peace Among Worlds sketch. <laughs> if you're a Rick and Morty fan, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I bought it and it was graded. It had a yellow label on it. And it was graded and it sparked my interest in, the, in the, the entire industry. And from there, I went to a few comic book shows and met some people that helped me understand the process and what to buy and how to think and also have foresight, you know, of what people are going to want. Nice. Yeah. I felt like you really got into comics very quickly. Like you were really, Oh yeah. I was all in. Yeah. You were yeah. all in. Yeah. You were like, <laughs> I, I got this. Thank you. But, uh, thank you, Ken, for yeah. letting me uh, nerd out and show you all my newest cool, cool, cool uh, no problem. books. To give Sean a lot of credit though, like immediately he was doing like really good deals and making good decisions and having like these comic books that I was like, wow, how did you get that? Like, it's, like, that, yeah. I was I was impressed, man. Thanks, impressed, thanks, dude. thanks, Kev. He knows how yeah, to wheel and deal. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That seven year old Sean. Yeah, came yeah, in, yeah, came came in, in it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I was. I keep looking back at that, and, and I never realized, Sean, man, you're hustling back then, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Spencer, did Sean introduce you to comics? 
yes, Sean introduced me to comics. So yeah, I introduced him to crypto. But what I introduced him initially to was was Engine Coin, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point. You know, I got him back into that. I think probably back in 2019 or something like that. And he hit me up back in I want to say March or something like that. And he was just like, Hey, dude, this thing that you told me to buy years ago is worth way more than what it was what I bought it for. Um, <laughs> and he was like. This 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 is awesome. Like and yeah, so things were starting to click for him on the crypto side of things. And he was like, "Hey, I have this cool opportunity. Thanks for for introducing me to crypto. I'd love to introduce you to comics." So yeah, Sean ultimately got me into comics. I started doing my research back in probably March 2021, and I bought my first comic book in it was April 1st, 2021. Wow. And yeah, so my first ever comic that I bought it was a Secret Wars number one newsstand graded Ooh. 9.8, which um, I'm very happy with that purchase. And yes. you know, look, looking forward to talking more about that book going forward. But you know, oh, similar yes. to Sean, I was I was a huge collector as a kid in elementary school. You know, I was I was wheeling and dealing the the Pokemon cards and the Yu-Gi-Oh cards in the playground. Got in a little bit of trouble for that. You know, I guess they. It was frowned upon to be, uh, to be making financial transactions <laughs> on school property as a third grader, but uh, to each their own. But I've always had this passion for collecting. My dad was super into collecting. He collected stamps and coins. So he got me into it at a very young age. Oh, wow. But I haven't really done a whole lot of collecting since I was a kid, aside from NFTs. NFTs is really what got me back into the whole collecting mindset. Yeah. So since I bought that first book in April, I've purchased like well over a hundred books. Um, yeah, your you collection is really big. Mix wow. of graded and raw comics, and also very similar Damn. to Sean. Like yeah. learned about it and then jumped right in, like with two feet right away. Um, and yeah, it's it's <laughs> been a lot of fun to swim, buddy. It's been so fun, yeah. Swim. yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and, and investing in comics is actually what led me to my current job, which is which is pretty incredible. So I, I have I have Sean to thank for that as well. Nice. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's that was a really really beautiful story, and we'll get into that later. Absolutely. All right, so. What comic books are considered valuable, and is there still a market for comic books? Oh, it's massive. It's massive. The, the most valuable comic books that you can really get are key first appearances of characters. Mm. There's The comic books, ideally, are, set, are separated by different ages. You have the Golden Age, which is essentially from 1938 to 55. And those are like like the original Superman, so the original Batman, so those are the Holy Grail comics. Right. And then you have Silver Age comics, about 1955 to 56 to 1970 and those comics is where we really introduce the marvel characters that we know today like for example like uh, you have fantastic four number one which was released in 1961 and that was stan lee's very first comic that he worked on with jack kirby oh, really? and yeah that is not only considered the foundation of marvel that we know today but it's also the first appearance of the fantastic four the next age is the bronze age which is about 1971 to 85 and you have really big books in here too. You have like the first appearance of the new X-Men. So you have like giant size X-Men one, which is the first introduction of like Storm and Nightcrawler. The Incredible Hulk 181 with the introduction of Wolverine. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, you have what's called the modern age, which is basically 1985 to present. So you have like a lot of 90s X-Men comics, a lot of DC as well. A first appearance of Harley Quinn. And it goes all the way up to today. But as far as value, you have the most important ones are the ones that are key first appearances of popular characters. So for example, like Fantastic 452, which is the introduction of the Black Panther, the mm. first appearance of the Black Panther, very significant character in MCU. You also have Fantastic Four number 48. Lot, Fantastic Four introduced a lot of characters, <laughs> as, you, as you can tell. Uh, but Fantastic Four 48 was the introduction of the Silver Surfer and Galactus, mm, right. which are going to be massive characters in the MCU in the next coming years. And then you also can come to the present day, right? So you have like the ultimate Fallout 4, which it introduces Miles Morales, which is a really, really, really big book. And that came out in 2012. So mm. that's a recent issue. 
or like the one Spencer mentioned, The Secret Wars number one. That came out in 1985, I think. So mm. it's definitely a it's definitely a Bronze Age book. But also speculation. Speculation is so big in the comic book world because the second news comes out about a show or a movie, boom. <laughs> like it like literally blows up well, overnight. I was actually gonna ask about that. Yeah, Cause yeah. like you were mentioned like the MCU and how that's that matters. Like mm-hmm. the whole, you know, cinematic universe kind of really affected the way these some of these comics oh, yeah, are valued yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause like, the comic books were, I mean, if you look at the prices over the past 20, 30 years. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's so different. It's so different. Even about five years ago, you look at prices or two years ago, shoot, even six months ago, the prices are, are changing so fast and specifically the granny comics, right? So if you're going to branch it down, it's key first appearances or first issues or key events, but usually key first appearances of characters. And then based on those comics, you grade them. So there's two companies, one's called CGC and the other one's called CBCS. CGC is kind of the top dog because they've been around for for a long time. I think they came around in like 2000. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's they've been around for quite some time. And then CFCPCS, which is they're considered second place, but they're they're growing quick and they're owned by Beckett. And CGC actually was actually just purchased by Blackstone, which is owned by Jay Z. So Jay Z now owns CGC. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. Did you yeah. guys know that? I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Oh, wow. So Jay-Z yeah. is now he owns officially CGC. into yeah, comics. He owns, and, yeah, all his comic books on my walls are oh, wow. at his company. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the grading system, that's so important to a lot of collectors because collectors always want to differentiate value, right? So you look at a comic book and you assess the corners, the spines, are all the pages intact? And they give you, and if that's the case, you have a blue label. If the book is fully intact, you have a blue label. And that's what everyone shoots for. And based on that, it goes even further. You have a number between 1.8 to 9. Point, well, essentially 10.0, but a 10.0 and a 9.9 are very hard to get, even for new age comics or brand new comics. But 9.8 is considered usually the highest. So yeah, so between 1.8 to 9.8 is the grade based on the valuation of the book itself. And then you get a blue label. Now, if the book is signed and witnessed by someone um, at a comic book show, specifically by someone by CGC, then you get a yellow label. Mm. And then there's also, oh, it goes on. There's more. Oh <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard about this? I envy you. <laughs> you also have the a purple label, which is a restoration label. Yeah. So if your book is, has been restored huh. in any way or if it's been trimmed, which is massively frowned upon because you have mm. cheaters trying to cut corners. You know, oh, and so try to literally improve. trying to make the edges. Yeah, smooth. literally trying to make the edges. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And, and in my opinion, those are like the tarnished books. Right. I, if a book is like, if you have a color uh, color touching on the front or if you like re-intact re- to the spine or if you're cleaning the staples, things like that, it's totally fine because you're just mm. trying to make the book better and you're not cheating. Right. But when you cut or trim corners, you're That's basically trying to cheat yeah. your way to a better right. grade, which I've seen big books lose literally thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh, really? Yeah. Because restoration labels, um, you are probably about 50% less, if not more sometimes. Ooh. Yeah. It's pretty significant. Yeah. So yeah. Sh- Sean, I just want to, I want to fact check you real quick, really quick, just for our listeners. Jay-Z does not own Blackstone. Blackstone though, does have a large stake in CGC and Jay-Z was involved in the deal, but oh. he does not own Blackstone. Blackstone is one of the largest investment banks in the world. Jay-Z does not have that much money. Okay, I was <laughs> Jay Z does not have that much money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I thought Jay Z owned Blackstone. 
No, definitely not. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whoops. Well, thank you so much for the clarification, Spencer. Appreciate you got it. Because yeah, I was but like, Jay-Z wow, was involved. Jay-Z, I got that part. Jay Z right. a baller. I don't know how. Goddamn. But yeah, Jay Z was involved and owns part of CGC now. Okay, cool. So he was just like involved in like he. Yeah, he, he was involved his, in the, in the deal. A, okay. he's a, yeah, gotcha. so he's part owner. Okay, yeah. so yeah. he is still okay. involved. Thanks for clarifying, Spencer. Okay, mm, you got it. All right. So with all this talk of grading and everything, yeah, what is the most valuable comic? The holy grail of all comics is. The 1938 Action Comics one, the first appearance of Superman. Mm, that, Super- that's the one with him in the car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. There's a super limited amount of them in the world, and it is probably the most valuable comic of all time because he's the one, he's the superhero that started it all. Right. That's right? true. Yeah. I keep forgetting about that. Yeah. 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 And what's actually really interesting about Superman, his symbol is the most recognized symbol in the world, even more than the Holy Cross. Wow. So yeah, so Superman is the one, the original OG. He's the one who started it all. And then you have Batman, which is massively significant. Mm. And Batman number one is his first issue. And that's also very, very valuable. So that between like the Fantastic Four number one is also very big. Amazing Fantasy 15 is the introduction of Spider-Man, which Mm. is right now probably one of the most recognized or celebrated superheroes. That issue is incredibly valuable. And apparently there's a one up per auction right now, like a graded 9.4. Apparently they're expecting the, the sale to be over $2 million. Wow. Over $2 million. Yeah. For one, wow. com- for one comic. God, yeah. yeah. That gives things 9. perspective. 9.4? Yeah. That is yeah. a lot. That's a hell of a And just a to like break down, I mean, just the past year, just the past year, we're looking at sales like Action Comics 1. Mm. You know, we had a CGC 8.5 that sold for $3.25 million. You have Batman number one. Yeah. An 8.0 sell for $1.2 million. A Marvel Spotlight number five, which is the introduction to the first appearance of Ghost Rider, who's going to be a big character in the MCU coming forward, sold for $264,000. It's the Ooh. only issue known in existence, and it sold for $264,000. And in my opinion, that's probably undervalued. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, if it's the only issue more. in the world, that's insane. Wow. It's the only 9.8 known in existence on the CGC consensus. Because wow. uh, just so you guys know, when you, a book is graded, it's registered. There's public access to this information, on, specifically on a website called one of the websites called Go Collect. We'll get to that later. But you can go on there and you can see all how many are available in that grade. So yeah, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And some of the other sales, you look at uh, Giant Size X Men number one, which is that the introduction of the new X Men that we mentioned. Uh, that sold for uh, nine point eight, sold for seventy two thousand dollars. A Fantastic Four number forty eight, the one I mentioned earlier, is a nine point eight. Hundred eight thousand dollars. A Hulk one eighty one just sold recently for I think it was about seventy or no about eighty thousand dollars. Wow, that's a, that was a record sale. Before that, it was fifty nine thousand hmm. dollars. But then you look at there's a ton of comics too that are selling around just around a couple thousand. Ultimate Fallout number four, the Miles Morales comic at nine point eight, a record sale was around thirty four hundred dollars. Hmm. Yeah, it's really impressive. Wow. Aside from popularity and speculations, how else do you assess your investments? There's a, a great business tactic that I, I've come to learn. I actually learned through this wonderful, wonderful comic collector. His name is Reggie. And you can follow him at Reggie Collects. Yeah, Reggie's an amazing mm-hmm. guy. Amazing, great amazing guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Reggie's I awesome. strongly suggest anyone who's new who new or into comics right now follow Reggie because he's such a wonderful person mm-hmm. and he gives great information about, about the space. So he he mentioned something about blue ocean, red ocean tactics. So the blue ocean, red ocean essentially means, you know, blue ocean, the waters are waters are calm. There's plenty of food in the water. Nobody's fighting. But the Red Ocean, all the fish are fighting over the small scraps of meat. Right. There's not a lot of supply. Right. So you want to be in the Blue Ocean when you buy something 
and you want to sell in the red ocean. Mm. So for example, there's rumors that the Submariner is going to be in the Black Panther 2 film. And it's beyond strong rumors now. There actually right. has been leaked photos on set of them filming underwater. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, it was just a scuba you, scene. Sean. Yeah, you it's can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they have, they have massive water tanks on set and these photos have been leaked. So, like, yeah. So, I immediately go and I, 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 I wouldn't, I found Submariner number one is sole issue. Mm. Uh, that's a Silver Age book. And I got it graded as a 9.6. Nice. I got a really good deal on it. And sure enough, two weeks later, the book three X'd. It three X'd. Yeah. Yeah. Two, wow. two, two sales. Wow. Three X'd. Yeah. Since wow. then. And that was two weeks later. But that just shows how important and powerful speculation is. Gotcha. And when it does come to fruition, boom. Right. So I, I guess, yeah. So I guess what my understanding is like, look ahead and see what might become popular. Get yes. that book now. Yes. And that way, once it does, you have that exactly. and you have that ability to get the most out of it. By then it's the red ocean and nobody, right. nobody wants to swim in the red ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Reggie, yeah. Man, it's, wow, it's my awesome. whole mindset has changed because of it. And I'm yeah. so grateful for that, for that advice. And it's not just, I, I don't just think about that for comics, but just business in general. Right. You know, especially in the NFT space. So right. what's popular right now, are we going to see a dip in pricing? Mm. You know, it's it, this is all stuff you really got to think about. Yeah. This is really important. So with all that said then, then what are you most excited for coming up then? Uh, or specific comics? Yeah, yeah, like it, it, There's there's a comic series called Something is Killing the Children and it's mm. by this by again James Tinian, he's a writer. Uh, he actually worked with DC and Marvel. And oh, nice. he the series is by the way, it's incredible if you haven't read it yet. But Something is Killing the Children, a graded it came out 2 years ago. A graded 9.8 of that book sells for about floor price around $1,200 right now. Nice. The following year, he, or in a raw copy, when I say raw copy, that means it's ungraded. Raw copy goes for around three to $400. The following year, he came out with another series called The Department of Truth. Awesome series. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's actually really good. And floor price for a 9.8 of that is around $150 to $200. Raw copy is around $50. This last year, he came out with another series. This guy just doesn't stop. He's yeah, right. mm-hmm. Nice house in the lake. 9.8 pre-sales because the book's so new. It came out two months ago. 9.8 pre-sales are going for 175. Crazy, right? 9.8 mm-hmm. pre-sales on eBay. Wow. You can look it up. And raw copies have a floor price of $20 to $30 in two months. So if you got a wow. $4 copy, that's 5X in two months. And I, it's only going to grow. This guy's wow. he's absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I look at him like he's the Stephen King of the comic book world. This guy is mm. just crazy. He, he does all horror horror comics, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horror. And um, what's really what's really interesting about these stories are specifically something is killing the children. That is actually going to be turned into a show on Netflix. Mm. Yeah, show run by Mike Flanagan, who did Haunting of Hill House. I'm actually a huge fan. He also did a film called Hush, which I'm a big fan of. Kevin, are you a fan of that? I, I'm I'm in between. I think it's an okay <laughs> film. I love it, but I, I mean, love House on Haunted Hill. I love what yeah. he did with that. Yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. that was that was fantastic. Yeah, I mean specifically, or was it, it The Haunting of Hill House? I think that's actually yeah, that's the show. Yeah, because yeah. like Hush, what I loved about Hush, it's three actors in one location, and it's just mm. captivating. That's yeah. probably tough to do. But anyways, yeah, he's he's a really talented guy, great he director. Is. It's it, I feel really strongly it's in good hands. And then also his other show is uh, Department of Truth got picked up by some producers that have done stuff with HBO. So it's easy to presume that the show is going to be on HBO. Yep. The Department of Truth. So the, look at this. I mean, this guy is incredibly successful. 
Uh, everything he touches really well. turns to gold. Yeah. Everything touches turns to gold. But yeah, my point is, the series that I'm excited about that's coming out is House of Slaughter, which is a spinoff of Something is Killing the Children. Mm. If you want, as a fan, to get something that's not only awesome, but also has great ROI, this is an amazing book to get. Not financial advice. <laughs> but strongly suggested <laughs> if you're inclined if, if you're inclined i i'm very excited about it as a fan and also an investor i mean if you, if you look at the series of books that he has all the first issues i mean yeah i mean it's, it's he's a proven track record of, of roi i mean just look at nice house in the lake we're looking at five five x in two months wow and it's growing damn yeah, that that's that's crazy. Dude. Yeah, like yeah, it's so I, cool. I, I can't believe how much stuff he's able to just put out in like a year. Yeah, like and it's, it's and it's incredible too because people you know, have made comments. What they still make comments? Yeah, yeah, they do. Yes, they do. And not only that, but they're insane investments, guys. <laughs> exactly. Like, get out to your comic book shop on October twenty fourth and grab one. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. or a couple if you can. So let's actually dive now into the crypto space. Spencer, why don't you tell me how you got into crypto? And what about NFTs? How long have you been into collecting and buying them? Yeah, I originally got into the, the crypto space in uh, summer of 2017. I had a friend who just started investing in them and had, he had done really, really well investing in crypto and introduced me to it. And I've invested for, for most of my life, mostly in, in stock, the stock market. This is something that I, I feel like I could wrap my mind around. You know, it's just another asset to trade. I was very skeptical at first when I first started looking into crypto. You know, it's a, it's a very new space, right. new types of assets, not really anything I've ever experienced before. So I really joined the space initially as, you know, a speculator and as a trader. I mean, I was just trying to make a quick buck off these assets. But, you know, as I dived deeper in and did more research and really learned about what this was, I started to get really excited about the technology. And what became, you know, more of a hobby became, I guess, a lifetime obsession. And now I'm still here, still investing in crypto. I definitely take a more of a long-term mindset when I invest in these assets. And when I invest oh, nice. in something, I, uh, I try to invest in it for the long haul. I, I look for companies that I think that, you know, can really do impactful things and can ha have an impact on the world. When it comes to NFTs, though, I didn't really start investing in NFTs or collecting NFTs until like probably mid 2018, maybe early 2018. You know, this was during the crypto bear market after the huge run up in 2017. My, my bags were absolutely decimated. So I was looking for something else to, to invest in. Yep. And Engine was actually the company that first got me really excited about NFTs. Engine is a, is a gaming platform and they have a whole bunch of gaming NFTs and different games that they have that are actually playable. We'll get into that, all that stuff later. But that, that is really where I got my start um, in NFTs is back in 2018. And since then, I've, I've just been an avid collector and played a lot of the games. It's, it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my start. Nice. So this question comes deep, deep from my heart. What the fuck is an NFT? <laughs> I don't know what this is. I keep hearing yeah, this word. I, I know it means non-fungible token, but yes. what is Non-fungible token. Isn't it that art thing, Spencer? It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that art thing. Um, so yeah, an NFT, it's, it's a scarce digital asset. So these scarce digital assets, they can come in different forms um, of digital, digital media. So they can be pictures, they can be videos, they can be audio, mm. you know, really any, any form of digital media. And these assets are secured on the blockchain. So every NFT is unique, non-fungible in non-fungible token essentially means unique and it's distinguishable from other similar assets. And this is as opposed to currency, which is fungible. 
like the US dollar or Bitcoin. These are fungible assets and each unit of that currency is identical and interchangeable with one another. So there's not really anything to distinguish them or make them unique from one another. So there's a lot of different types of NFTs. As Sean joked about in the beginning, there's art. Um, so, you know, art is kind of where the, the NFT space has really blown up um, mm. over the past year. You've seen insane sales figures from people like Beeple for, oh, yeah. you know, auctions for $69 million. Other big artists like Trevor Jones, yeah. Hackatow, Jose Delbo. Then you also have, which has become popular more recently, the avatars and the profile picture space. Mm. So CryptoPunks really started this off. And then now you've had you know, a million derivative projects from this, like Board Ape Yacht Club or Cool Cats, you know, to name a few. There's gaming assets. So there are play to earn video games. Hmm. You know, the, the blockchain gaming space is, um, you know, really trying to change the paradigm of gaming and change it from a pay to play model to a play to earn model. There's all these in-game economies that use NFTs and cryptocurrencies and gaming assets like, for example, a sword in a video game is an NFT. That's actually something that you own. It's in your blockchain wallet. And many times those assets are actually, you can move them around to different games. So the engine ecosystem, which I brought up before, there's you know, about 60 different projects that are currently building on, on engine. And there's a few assets that are playable currently in like 10 different games right now. So you could own one sword or one shield and that's movable across different games, which is you know something that I think is really powerful and something that you don't normally get in these very closed off gaming environments that we see that most people play today. So moving on, licensed digital collectibles, which is a lot of what this podcast is going to be about. So I don't need to get into that too much right now as we'll, we'll talk a lot about that. There's music NFTs There, people are trying to you know, basically put music royalties onto the blockchain which I think is, is really great for artists and removes the middleman and allows artists to really make a lot more money off of what they're doing. There's digital real estate, digital land in some of these metaverses. There is digital fashion and wearables. I mean, the, the list goes on. There's, yeah. there's a lot wow. that, that goes on in this space. So yeah, I didn't there's a lot to be excited about. The video game so, one. That's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so basically NFTs create authenticity in the digital space. Mm -hmm. what, can, what about the practical world? Can they be like your passports one day? Can they be, you know, your basically your car keys if they're if they're all digital? For sure, absolutely. I, I think that's where things are going at some point. Yeah, and that's, so it's, it's and just that's so, basically a more secure way of having things that you own almost in the yeah, digital world. Exactly. In the digital world, I mean, let's face it, everything is going digital. It is, you know, yes. music, documents, yes. like everything yeah, is going absolutely. digital. And anyone who argues against it, <laughs> yeah. they don't. Come on, guys. Like, yep. Just look at the things you use <laughs> yeah. every day. Look at your cell phone. Exactly. When's the last time you wrote a fucking letter? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's be honest here. Yeah. Hey, and man, just, don't you insult my owls and pigeons. We don't really have the technology to really showcase this stuff. Well, specifically right. like digital collectibles, you right. know? Mm -hmm. uh, but when that happens, especially at Apple, they're coming out with what their AR and VR glasses in two to mm -hmm. three years. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a game changer. Yeah. By then, who knows where this space is going to be? Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. you kept mentioning the word blockchain. I'm not sure what that is. Do you mind just giving a quick explainer of what a blockchain is? Yeah. So a blockchain is a peer-to-peer -peer network. Essentially, it's a, it's a decentralized database. So over time, this database is filled up with transactions. And as people transact on this network in a peer-to-peer -peer way, those transactions are recorded onto the blockchain. And then they're recorded there and they live there forever as long as the blockchain is still up and running and operating. Yeah, gotcha. that's a, kind of a very very basic explanation of, of a blockchain. Gotcha. All right, cool. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify because I, I wasn't sure what a blockchain was. Yeah, sure. So what NFTs are the most valuable and why? Looking at NFTs, there's a lot of things that give them value. So when you're looking at art, 
Art is obviously very subjective. So, you know, there's some key things that you can look at, like, is the, the artist really well known? What have they done before? At the end of the day, is subjective. So people, the value is kind of in the eye of the beholder. But then you're looking at other NFTs, CryptoPunks. These are very scarce assets and people find value from these because it's just like collecting anything. It's like, I can have this and somebody else can't, right? Are they considered um, one of the first uh, crypto projects? Is that why there are people? Yeah, and, so and, that's the, and that's the other reason. Yeah, so CryptoPunks are considered basically it's it's the pioneering project of mm, the ERC seven twenty one NFT standard, which is the main NFT standard that's used. So yeah, they actually predate the ERC seven twenty one standard and actually kind of form the template for what it would become. So yeah, they're they're largely considered the first, if not one of the first NFT projects ever. So so people um, are paying. Thousands, or, not hundreds of thousands, or hundreds, millions, mi- of dollars. Millions, 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 millions for for single crypto. It's, crypto it's, it's purely based on historical value. Yeah, I mean, people value millions. these things, you know, because of it's a part of history. People yeah. want to own the first of anything, right? So that there's been this huge resurgence recently of people going back and scouring through smart contracts and you know through blockchain data to try to basically revive these old NFT projects. And hmm. you know, people have been trying to put together almost this like historical timeline of NFTs. Mooncats, I think was, was one of the ones they like Mooncat Rescue. So people basically found this NFT project from back in 2018 and they were still able to mint new ones. And I think like today the floor reached I think like one ether for for one of them. Wow. Um, which which is it's okay. But obviously the more more rare ones are are a lot higher in value. But yeah, so it's it's just been very interesting seeing people valuing the, the historical significance of a lot of these things. Did you did you have a, a certain moment that you're like, I don't really know about NFTs, but when they like was there a light bulb that went off like, oh now I get it. Is there a do you remember um, a specific moment that you had that? Yeah, I, I think it was when when engine they really painted the metaphor of the metaverse and ready player one. And how mm. you know the whole the whole gaming ecosystem could eventually right. go that way. That's that's really when it clicked for me. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That's that awesome. makes sense. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So is yeah. that what you look for when investing in NFTs? Do you look for like that first project or like how try, many there are? Trying to find that blue ocean. Yeah, you try. <laughs> basically the, looking for blue oceans. Yeah, we find those blue oceans. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that I look for. And obviously, the first thing is you want the art itself to be appealing, right? If it's physical or visual artwork, you know, does it look good? Or if it's audio, does it sound good? Generally, I'm not going to invest in something if I don't like the way it looks. I also look at the team or the founders that are behind the projects. So right. depending if they if they have a track record or really if it's just you, you can find some some good information about the people who are behind it. A, a lot of teams dox themselves and post their LinkedIn information. And, you know, you can find out some good information. You got to be more wary, though, when you have anonymous founders of, of some of these projects. But at the same time, th- that kind of is the whole point of crypto. It's financial freedom right. and allows you to to have some financial privacy. So I understand why some people don't, don't want to dox themselves. But it, per, me personally, as an investor, it definitely makes me more nervous when I don't know who the people are behind the project. Right. Another thing is the community. Community, I think, is really important behind a project. So if there is a lot of people involved, people are excited about it, people are talking about it, there is going to be more demand. Prices are more likely to go up. If people aren't yeah. excited about the project, they're, they're not going to buy it and people are going to forget about it. They're not going to continue to be engaged. Asset prices are going to drop. Scarcity is a huge, huge piece of it, both scarcity for an asset itself or maybe within a collection. It's like, for example, CryptoPunks, you have different traits and these different traits have different rarities. If it's wearing a hat or if it's smoking a cigarette, these are, are different traits and maybe only three out of the 10,000 might be smoking a cigarette. So because, right. because of that, that makes it extremely rare right. and people want it. These Were these designed this way like for CryptoPunks? Did they think this, think this through? They, oh, this is going to be the rare one. 
Yeah, well, so when they, when they built the contract out, you know, originally and, and deployed this, you know, they have set rarities and, you know, set mm-hmm. probabilities for gotcha. the rarities. But, you know, these are like computer generated avatars. So it's not like they designed each of these one by one. They basically wrote some code and based on the code, they were randomly yeah. generated. Gotcha. Oh, really? I was yeah, more I curious no if people idea. if people created these this, this philosophy themselves or if it was already established, they adopted it. Um, so they adopted it. Yeah. From from CryptoPunks. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and that's, that's awesome. kind of how, how all these these generative avatar projects have, have come about. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Wow. I mean, but yeah. So I mean just continue. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that I look at when yeah. I'm when I'm looking at <laughs> NFTs. I mean, yeah. like utility is really important, I find. So obviously it's it's great if you you have a piece of art and you could put it on a digital display on your wall and you can look at it, but it would be great if you could actually use that for something and had some kind of utility. So uh, let's say if that NFT acts as access to a Discord server, because you own it, you're able to join this community or you know, because you own this NFT, it allows you to get early pre-sale access to a future sale. You know, there's any number of things that you can you can use these these NFTs for basically to provide additional value utility. I look for things like that. Intellectual property I find really important as well. Right. So if you're you're dealing with licensed collectibles, who are the companies behind it? What's their track record? And then finally is market liquidity. You buy these assets, great, but what happens when it's time to like offload them? What when you want to sell them? You know, if, if there's no market and there's no liquidity, then what's right. the point? You just you just own this JPEG right. NFT right. and 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 that's it. You can just look at it, but you can never sell it. Right. So it's important that there's there's a market and there's liquidity there. That's true. I didn't think about that. No. What's really cool too, Spencer, is I, which I've come to learn recently: artists or people who own the NFT are able to get commission sales off the secondary sales. Yep. Mm, that's oh right. yeah. Can you, can you dive so, into so, that? Can you dive a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's one of the, one of the most powerful things about NFTs. So you know, basically coded into the uh, the NFT contracts, you can have secondary market sales or secondary market fees. So when you buy an NFT, right, you you buy it. There's an initial sale. The artist makes X amount of money from that initial sale. Great. But what happens when you want to sell it on a secondary market? Usually when you're looking at traditional like art markets or, or anything, artists don't get secondary market sales. Right. They they sell their they sell their their item the first time and then and that that's that. You know, maybe maybe whoever the, the secondary market might take a fee, but the artist never sees anything from that. Mm-hmm. The cool thing with NFTs is you can actually write into code that every single time that this NFT changes hands, you will automatically get X percent of the sales price. So if you sold an NFT for $100,000 and you had 5% coded into it, that artist would just automatically get 5%, $5,000 sent directly to their wallet. So it's a really, it's a powerful, like a passive income tool for for these artists. Is there there a standard number for commission sales? I mean, I've I've heard it goes up to as high as 30%. Is that true? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a standard. It's it's just whatever whatever people people gotcha. feel is yeah. is right, and you obviously you risk alienating your community if you try to put your your, your fee a little bit too high. Yeah. yeah. So people are aware of of this when they're selling it. They know that there's commissions built in. It's all the contract for sure. Yeah. 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 It's all there. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's I mean, it's, it's it's such a big deal, guys. Because yeah, like you is. look at, I mean, for me, I'm thinking about this in like the comic book world, specifically Marvel and DC. A lot of artists, writers, and artists, both they never got royalties for the mm. characters they created which destroys my it destroys my soul to yeah. find out these mm. people are not getting barely getting any credit or they're not getting any of the money that's made off these characters yeah. and remember these people put all the work and effort into these comics and that one sale they got in that first beginning that was it it kills me it kills me yeah. and like, this is the first opportunity so I, uh, this is why spencer and i would dive into jose delbo and jose delbo is a incredible artist he has done so much with uh, dc 
I switch. I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so I started working with this company very recently called Apollo NFT. So it's a it's an NFT consultancy, artist management, production, and PR firm, all focusing on the on the NFT space. So, you know, the reason that I found this company and and applied to work there, I saw an article about you know it was, it was NFTs and comics, and you know I just recently started investing in comics, so I saw this article and was was instantly intrigued and wanted to learn more. And in the article, it, this was about Jose Delbo, incredible comic book artist, you know, drew comics for Legend. six, six, yeah. six decades for, for DC yeah. and wow. Marvel. He's done literally almost, almost every character that you think of. He's, he's done Wonder Woman and Batman and I mean, like really every major character he's, he's almost, he's had a, had a, had his hand in at some point. So yeah, had incredible storied career. So Apollo NFT, the company I'm working for, they jumpstarted his, his NFT career. Jose Delbo is 87 years old, and he is now one of the highest grossing NFT artists in the world, uh, uh-huh. which I think is, is just absolutely incredible. Um, yes. So yeah, so through this article, I was reading about it. I thought it was a really interesting and cool story. And it mentioned Apollo NFT in the article. And I just I reached out to the founder and now I have a job. So I'll work <laughs> with them. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm helping them, you know, build out the consulting side of their business and helping with business development. And we, we have yeah, a lot of really that's... cool projects coming up, which I'm excited to share things about in the future. I've seen, I've seen quite a bit. It's really, really, really cool mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool stuff. I, I yeah. strongly, so where can we see Jose, De, the updates in Jose Delbo's work? Yeah. You, you can follow Jose Delbo has a, has a Twitter account. He has an Instagram account. You can also follow my company, Apollo NFT on all channels as well. That's awesome. Um, so that's probably the best way to to keep up to date with what we're doing. But yeah, Jose Delbo, it's it's really incredible. So he during the pandemic, right? He was pretty much shut down from what he doing what he normally does, mm-hmm. which is you know these comic book artists. The way that they generally make their money when they're not actually contracted with with DC or Marvel or one of these studios is they go to comic book conventions and they do signings and they do drawings and and they sell them and that's how they make their money. During the pandemic, obviously all the conventions were shut down. He wasn't able to make any money doing that. So yeah, he was struggling. And his grandson recognized that, hey, you're an incredible artist. You have a huge following. Nick, the founder, he, just like I have been, has been into NFT since around 2017, 2018, has a ton of knowledge in the space. And he decided to you know, create this company, Apollo NFT. And Jose Delbo is our first and you know, really our flagship client. So you know, over the past year since his initial release, we've done multi-million dollar token sales, He's he's made way more money just in this past year of wow. NFTs than he probably did in, in most of his entire six decade career with DC and Marvel. Oh my uh, god! Which just shows wow. shows the power of of NFTs and what what, what the yeah. technology is able to provide. Exactly, wow. that's awesome, man. Yeah. Why does that remind me of like Shawshank Redemption? Like finally, get there into, like, <laughs> like you get, yeah. Yeah. that's, so, that's so awesome. Like, that like that story like that could be anyone. That could be any comic book artist now. Mm-hmm. That's now possible in this space. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, well, so speaking of like Apollo and the company you work for, are there any other companies that you're kind of excited about? Yes. So there's a bunch of companies I'm excited about, especially in the digital collectible space, specifically VV and Ecomi, which is you know something that our, our podcast is going to focus on a lot. That's something I'm very, very excited about. They have, looking at the, the comic space specifically, they have licensing with both Marvel and DC and have done extraordinary drops with both. They have... A million other licenses as well. Really, compared to any other company that I've seen, the licensing is is it's just so impressive. Yeah. Axie Infinity, I'm really excited about. That's a, a play to earn game. It's gotten really, really popular over the past few months. It went from I think back in May, it had maybe thirty thousand daily active users, and they recently exceeded one million. 
Um, oh wow! Yeah, it's that's, a very very quick run up, wow. and right. and it's it's wow. it's amazing. It's it's play to earn, and you know, there's people, especially in developing countries, who are making a serious income playing this game. Wow. For me, oh, wow. you know, you know, living in the United States, I probably wouldn't be able to make enough money to support myself. But mm. um, for somebody in in the Philippines, for example, they can make three to four times their their normal daily income just playing a, f- a few hours a day playing this video game. Wow. Um, so, you know, this is something that's really, really helping people in need, which is, which that's is amazing. Crazy, man. So, you know, happy to talk about that one in, in more detail. I'm, I'm very involved in, in that whole world and been involved in that space for a while. Another project I really like is Wax. Wax is its own independent blockchain. Their focus is solely on NFTs. They built this, this blockchain for NFTs and, and that is what they do. And I think they do it really well. They've done some really amazing licensing deals with Tops. It's like with Tops, they've done Garbage Pail Kids sets. Um, they've done a few oh, different nice. releases with them. They did a really, really good job with the digital versions as well. They've also done, Tops has done release with the MLB. So they've done you know MLB baseball cards, which you know that was a really successful drop. And they've done stuff with Funko. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles drop with Funko. There's some awesome. some really awesome like play to earn games. Alien Worlds is a really popular game that's picked up a lot of steam. They've they've been on you know the top charts as having some of the the largest daily active user bases of any blockchain wow. game out there. There's Cogs, which Sean mentioned Pogs before, but this is the the digital version of Cogs. <laughs> oh um, called Cogs. Over that. So, Pogs are back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that, that's Wax Engine. I'm really excited about Engine and their whole ecosystem of gaming. They have over 60 different projects and games that are in development or live that are being built on their platform that all have blockchain integrations with Engine. A couple of notable names, you know, Lost, Lost Relics has a, has a really big player base and really big following. I've also played it. It's a it's like a dungeon crawler game. It's really fun. You know, basically as you you know you do this. You, know, you go through this dungeon, you kill monsters, they drop items. These are blockchain-based items, and they have real value. So you know you can then sell them on a secondary marketplace or use them to improve your gameplay, whatever whatever you need. And then they have another really big game coming out called The Six Dragons, which I'm really excited for. It is slotted to be the first ever blockchain game for a console. So oh, really? hopefully, oh. hopefully by the end of either end of this year, maybe beginning of next year, I think they're looking to release on PlayStation. Um, wow! So that's huge. that's that's gonna be that's gonna be really exciting. They have a whole a whole governance system, and it's more of like a, a RuneScape RuneScape style mm. type of like oh, medieval yeah. medieval game. Oh, um, they got these crazy big dragons that you can fight against. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Are you so, gonna use cryptocurrency on there? Sorry, so like, on, on the PlayStation? Are you gonna be able to use cryptocurrency? I, I it's a blockchain game, so I imagine. Wow, I think, I think I think that's what they're what they're intending. I mean, hopefully, that's huge. hopefully they don't get blocked in any way. Right. I I think that PlayStation would would want to get involved in this space just because that's yeah. that's where things are I feel going. Like that's the company yeah. that would really back this because they've accepted. Well. Yeah. I heard in Japan, like it was like last year, they accepted Engine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which was huge. They're the first ever gaming cryptocurrency to be to be accepted in Japan, and Japan has wow. really really strict regulations when it comes to accepting cryptocurrencies and allowing them to, be, them to be tradable in Japan. So. That was a huge deal, and also Japan is, you know, one of the largest gaming markets as well. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of stuff, a lot of cool stuff going on in with case, Engine. In case, in case the, viewer, the listeners out there don't know, PlayStation, PlayStation Five is from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> in case you didn't know, yes, PlayStation is a Japanese company. Yes. Yeah, I'm also really excited about a lot of these metaverse projects that are coming up. Some of them are currently playable, but a lot of them are still in development. So Axie Infinity has its own land system. Another couple ones are Decentraland, the Sandbox, Crypto Voxels. And think of these as like Ready Player One. It's like these, right. these dig- digital land maps and you have digital real estate where people actually own pieces of land, you know, digital land 
in these these gaming maps and then you can build really whatever you can think of on your land and you can charge people for those experiences so (laughs) if you wanted to build a 3d gallery and inside that gallery display all of your nft art on the walls you could theoretically charge admission for people to come in and check out the nft art that you have there or they could literally buy the art right off the wall they could literally click on that nft and just buy it but also you know there's a lot of really big companies that have bought up really big land plots because they believe in the idea of the metaverse and where things are going and they plan to build attractions and experiences in these in these digital worlds so wow. the proliferation of virtual reality um, and that becoming yeah. more and more popular it's going to be I, I think it's going to be a big deal and then another project i like that launched very recently it's called real fever and they do similar to, to nba top shots if you've heard of those they they're video nfts licensed european soccer or football hmm. so yeah they're european soccer players and i think they're really cool nfts and you know they did really well on their first drop excited for for what they have to come and i think they have plans to actually you know do fantasy soccer essentially using these nfts as well so you'll be able to play against other players so i, I think there's a lot of potential there and then the Flow blockchain is really the last one that I'm excited about. So Flow is where, which I just said, NBA Top Shot lives on Flow. So those are NBA licensed collectibles. They did a really good job in pioneering the digital collectible space. And yeah. it's just been, it's been really fun to, to watch their yeah. progress. And then they have, they have another game come out called Chain Monsters, which is like kind of a, a Pokemon-esque game. So that's another, another one to look forward to as well. What, as you can you, tell, there's, there's a lot to be excited yeah, about. Wow. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on Eternity? So Eternity is another really cool project. Thank you for bringing that up. I forgot to include that one. So Eternity, they've done some really cool stuff with, um, for example, Lionel Messi. They just yeah, had a really that, big job with Lionel Messi and Boss that, Logic, that um, which yeah we both got into. And you know they've done a lot of stuff with athletes. I think that's been their their main focus. They've done stuff with Tony Hawk. It's it's been really cool. They they have this whole um, kind of the staking system where you can stake your ERN tokens in order to earn stones, which is just another, you know, kind of in-system cryptocurrency, which you can then use to purchase entities in their platform. I'm, I'm stacking on those stones. We're stacking our you stones. Better, you best believe it. I'm stacking <laughs> those stones that I don't yeah. know how to spend yet. <laughs> John, do you have any other thoughts on Eternity since you brought it up? Yeah. I mean, it's just a really cool project. I mean, it's backed by the Winklevoss twins. I know that Mr. Beast is a huge, a big investor in it as well. It's really just a beautiful project. They have I, I look at them as as the the Louis Vuitton of NFTs. That's what I like to call them. Yeah, I like to, I like okay. calling them that because yeah, if you if you look at their digital collectibles, they are just stunning. Gotcha. They're very real and authentic, and just it feel yeah, it's nice. You take a look, and you'll see what I'm talking about. They also partnered up with Ter- uh, Terra Virtua. Mm, nice. Which is I, I I've kind of learned about them a little bit, but it's essentially virtual reality, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's their focus. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, it's the potentials there could be very exciting. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the other project, which I'm, I mean, I'm all in on is, is Vivi. By oh far. yeah. Yeah. Vivi. Oh yeah. 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 And we'll, we're going to dive more deeply into that the next episode. Oh yeah. With all this said, where do you see this space going in about 10 years? Do you think NFTs will be common? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that in 10 years, maybe even sooner, maybe five years, NFTs will be fully integrated into our everyday lives. Most large companies will be involved in some way in the NFT space, whether they're using NFTs just as marketing or if they have them integrated into their experiences, games, what have you. You know, I think the the world will move away from physical art and physical collectibles and start to value more digital collectibles or or a hybrid of the two where you have mm-hmm. a, a physical collectible that has a 
a partner or something that coincides with it that's also digital. And, you know, I think there's going to be, like I talked about before, you know, the metaverses, I think there's going to be huge proliferation of these metaverses. I don't think there's going to be one metaverse that necessarily is bigger than all, like, I don't think we're going to have an Oasis situation, like Ready Player One, but I think there'll be different metaverses and there'll be, each metaverse will have its own pros and cons and people will choose based on that, based on where their friends go or based on whatever. So yeah, yeah, so that's kind of where I see things going. yeah, I, I I totally I totally agree. The the only thing I would say too to add on to that is I actually I, I see the potential of these digital collectibles when they take off when it really takes off and becomes fully adopted. The physical world is going to take off more too. I was actually going to say that as yeah, well. Because I, I mean, like, right right now I'm I'm actually talking to a lot of people about my my passion for comic books and mm-hmm. how it relates on these latest drops with Vivi, and people are starting to understand it more. But oh, okay, I'm starting to get it. And they've actually asked me so many questions about collecting comics. Mm-hmm. And people oh. are saying, I've always thought about it, but now like you, when I hear you talk about yeah. it and how creative an investment these things can be, and I and I love Marvel films or DC <laughs> films, yeah, there's just great opportunity there. So it's just I think it's just gonna expand the collecting world as yeah. a whole instead that, of just kind of just taking over one word, or the other. Expand. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. the key. Yeah, word which is super exciting for me because that's I mean, I love I love comics. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I've yeah. grown to really love digital collectibles. And when those two worlds combine, when you see the the, the passion for both, it's just yeah. Yeah, because yeah, like this might be a terrible example, but I remember when I bought a DVD like eight years ago, it came with the DVD plus a digital copy. Mm. You had both right at your fingertips. And I remember thinking, oh, that's great. And that's what got me into doing digital movies and getting them online and like going that route. But I yeah. still buy Blu-rays and DVDs. Yeah, yeah. and it's actually, uh, Spencer, you got me into this rec- the recent Ninja Turtles drop and one of their, they're called the, the Grail NFT or digital collectibles was of Leonardo and there's only 999 of them. Mm-hmm. The really cool thing about this, because it's a, so it's licensed by Funko mm. and it's, it's so basically it's Funko's first ever NFT combined with the first ever licensed NFT with the turtles. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And this is only 999 of these. And whoever owns this NFT by, I think like January, like I think mid December, I think mid December, yeah, right. they're going to send you an actual physical Funko doll See, limited edition awesome. of that exact NFT. That's awesome. That is so cool. I and that's a perfect that. example of a company that understands yep. the real world and also the virtual world yeah. and how they're mm-hmm. going to be able to combine this collectible exactly. space. Exactly. Uh, Sp- yep. Spencer, so how does that work exactly? So I know on the on the NFT it says like you get a free Funko doll, but how how does that work exactly? How do you Yeah, get so it, it's not going to I don't think the the token will be redeemable necessarily, so I don't think you're going to have to burn your token in order to receive it. I think you'll be able to to keep the NFT. But they're going to do a snapshot, essentially, of all of the addresses that hold this token on the date, the snapshot date. And then they'll reach out to all these these token holders. So my guess is they'll probably just send an NFT that has some basic instructions on how to redeem them. And then there'll be a website or somewhere that you go. And based on information you have or based on the NFT, you might even be able to log into a platform using your Wax wallet, which then verifies that you know you actually own that nft and that you're able yeah. to to receive this this physical one and then unfortunately then you just have to deal with the physical world and shipping and you know yeah. procurement yeah. and all and all that stuff they're gonna have to figure out how to get it to us but plug in your your shipping address and they'll send it to you that's so cool because yeah. if you so if for everyone out there who's a huge turtle fan strongly recommend getting this digital collectible yeah. because it's gonna not be financial amazing. advice not financial advice <laughs> so, uh, strongly encourage strongly encourage it's absolutely incredible yeah in and, my opinion you yeah. should go <laughs> <laughs> not financial advice. <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, that that's 
that's something that's really cool about nfts is like and you mentioned this earlier when you said stuff about like passports yeah. driver's licenses yeah that's something that i think is really cool is just being able to not have like so- a wallet full of cards you know a bunch yeah. of shit like that like my documents can be in one place and not in my folder that's in like a storage unit or something agreed if, if i never had to carry a wallet with me around ever yeah, again right? i would be so happy if i just it's, had everything it's in getting my there it's well it's, it's just getting on your point, phone you know it's really coming to that point because yeah. i mean i look at my wallet it's getting smaller and smaller yeah, yeah. you have what a couple credit cards in yeah. there business cards maybe exactly and then you have your yeah. you know your id yeah. that's really your biggest thing yeah. is your id no cash, just, i mean I, I, yeah. how many people carry cash around them anymore yeah yeah and people are still saying nfts are not a thing that yeah. they're not going to be the future <laughs> yeah and, and, and you, look are I, you fucking I get that there are places that guys yeah <laughs> there are places still in the world that do a lot of cash. Europe is one of those places, and especially Japan. Yeah, there's a lot there's of it is there, cash. Yeah. But yeah. this it's going to get to that place, yeah. that point where it's no longer. It's really I mean, it's pretty yeah. standard in the yeah. States now. Exactly. You know? Man, it's just it's incredible. But let's go back to the digital collectibles specifically and like NFTs and digital collectible space. Licensed NFTs are king. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. So very specifically. You know, you have either big licenses or big artists, which kind of go hand in hand. Is that right, right, Spencer? Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So when you want to get like, for example, like a recent drop with Marvel, to own Marvel's first ever NFT is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Right. So you want to go after brands that have official licenses. Just because you go out and you, like, you go on OpenSea and you see a Marvel, a cool looking Marvel collectible, that doesn't mean it's, it's officially licensed. Mm-hmm. Do your research. Make sure you know what you're buying before you make any purchases. Yep. Because yeah. that is a huge mistake. Yeah. Because those will not survive. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, I mean. Love that, about that's that's one of the I was gonna say that's one of the really cool properties about NFTs in general is just, you know, the, the blockchain, it provides this permanent and public digital record, which allows people to verify with absolute certainty exactly what they're purchasing. Yeah, it really is the technology. It, it allows for provable ownership of your assets and it, at the end of the day, it prevents counterfeiting and it prevents plagiarism, which you know yeah. for artists is what's most important. That's amazing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. If you could pick one project to invest in right now, what would it be and why? That's not financial advice. This is not financial advice. <laughs> um, but if there's one project, just one, just one. So we all have the same favorite. And <laughs> <laughs> right, this is called, a trick question. Called, We're preparing for the next Ecomi episode. And Vivi. <laughs> Yeah, so Ecomi is the company. It's the parent and, company, and and V and Vivi is the application that where you buy these digital collectibles. Mm-hmm. It's a mobile app, and, and Omi is the currency they use to buy these collectibles. Yes, and we're going to do a full episode, uh, and this episode two, we're going to do a full breakdown of this of of Vivi for everyone, yeah. so you get a full introduction of who this company is. But as a hint as to why we're really invested in this, it is the product, it is the leadership, it is the partners. It is the community and it is the licenses. And yeah. you'll learn all about that and how important that is for this company and why we are so hyped for this one. And just to give you an example of, of some of the companies, some of the licenses that VV has, they have Universal, Warner Brothers, DC, the NFL, MLB, Adult Swim, Mattel, Toy Tokyo, Tokidoki, Mondo, and a lot of independent artists like Jermaine Rogers and Ron English and Frank Kozik. It it goes on and on. And apparently they have over a hundred more brands coming. It's just absolutely incredible. The potential here is out of this world and I'm excited to talk to you all about it. Absolutely. I can't wait. Well, guys, episode one. Look at yeah, that. Huh? We did it. Wow. We're at the end already. Turn Proud up. Awesome. Yeah, right? <laughs> Bye everyone. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Sean just wants to get out of here. My <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for joining. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.
All right, everyone, we hope you enjoyed this first episode of Comics and Crypto Podcast. Please make sure to like and subscribe to our page and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Comics and Crypto. In our next episode, we'll be doing a deep dive into Vivi and why we believe this company may not just take us to the moon, but to Mars. Music is by Ninefinger. Make sure to check out their music at ninefinger.com. And you can follow them on Instagram at ninefinger999. Be sure to check them out and send them some love.